continue in uh, the book of Zechariah. So turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 5. Um, as we continue in the visions that we've been a part of for uh, the last several weeks, and as we've just continued to go on and, and uh, just see what the Lord is showing this young prophet, um, I, I, I was kind of, in, uh, kind of, it was kind of interesting as I'm writing some notes. I kept on calling him this young prophet, young prophet. And he is, uh, uh, you know, from, from what we gather in chapter 2, that he was a younger man. And, and I just love that, that term that as I've been kind of typing that out, just referring to, to him as a young prophet. Um, again, knowing who he was, knowing who he was coming alongside of, who he was now taking over four was an older guy that was ready to hand it over because God had that guy there for a, a, a time, and he just hands it over to this younger guy, and I just love that, you know, that this this guy, he's ready to go, and I, I love his boldness. Again, I shared with you guys as I was getting into the book of Zechariah, I was kind of intimidated by this young kid because he's probably tall, tall, dark, and handsome, um, and uh, I hate guys like that, you know, um, but... But the fact of the matter is that I've fallen in love with this young man as I've been studying him, just his heart, just his drive to, to do what God has called him to do and being faithful. And, and again, God is showing him these visions. Um, the visions that we have already covered have been somewhat short and sweet. Well, maybe not all that sweet, but, but, but they haven't been long um, because he, he's kind of hidden some points, and, he, and, and, and what we have covered up to this point are five of the eight visions that, that God gave this young, uh, this young prophet, and he received all of these in just one night. And they have moved from outside of Jerusalem, and we've kind of covered that, and, and they've made their way into Jerusalem by about the third one, and, and then what we were seeing um, the last couple of weeks, it seems like, is that they've moved into this place that that looks like a judgment hall and or the temple. And last week when we were there, we, we, we kind of noticed, yes, he is now in that place because of all the surroundings and part of the vision that he is in that place where, where now God is speaking to them internally and ministering to them and just kind of setting up the, the priesthood, but also reaching out to Zerubbabel, who was part of the, 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 the civic part of it, and, and, and just showing that he was going to use these two guys um, in, in all of this. And so uh, the first two, two uh, as we move into chapter 5 tonight, it, it's, it's somewhat of a short chapter. They've all been kind of short chapters, but we, we're going to cover two visions tonight. And, and they, they kind of go along with each other, uh, and we're moving into more of the judgment part of these visions. Um, the, first, the first vision, the first two visions had some, some judgment in them associated with them, but those judgments had to do with the Gentile nations, those who were on the outside, um, those who had been making it hard for the nation of Israel as they were coming back together as God was bringing them back together. And it seems to me that these last three visions deal more with the, the last three that we will cover, two tonight and, and one next time, um, deal with more with the nation of Israel. The focus has now been turned inward. The focus has been now 
internal, dealing with, with the people of Israel, uh, the fact that they have moved into the temple itself, dealing with the spiritual aspect of their lives, and, and just kind of shedding light, if you will, on the sin that had been exposed with the nation of Israel, and so God is dealing with that, even as we will see tonight. Last week's vision ended with the, the angel, the interpreting angel that's there with Zechariah calling God's, calling Israel's God the Lord of the whole earth. And that title is used several times, but a couple of the times in, that, that we see is in Psalm 90, 97 verse 5 and Isaiah 54 uh, 5. And Psalm 97.5 says, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the, of the whole earth. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 54.5, and your maker, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the redeemer of the Holy One of Israel, he is called the God of the whole earth. You see, Zechariah's purpose in writing is to tell us, the reader, about the future, and the, the readers back then, but the readers today even, the future of the Jews and Jerusalem. But the future of the whole earth, the whole world, is involved with the future of the Jews. And so whatever happens uh, with, with Jerusalem and, and the Jews, what God has planned for them, it affects everybody else throughout the nations. And so, again, that's what we're in. That's why Zechariah is, you know, bringing these things to light. Um, God, uh, again, had called the nation of Israel to be his not because they were mighty, not because they were bad, not because they were big, but because they were nothing and God was going to show himself through them. But it would be through this little nation of Israel that he shares with us in Genesis 12 that they will be a blessing and a cursing to all the nations. And so again, this little, this little place is powerful and has been used for, forever and ever. And, you know, as I was thinking the other day, as, you know, just watching the news and just being interested in all those things, it doesn't matter what the earth, what the world, what politicians, what nations, what they think that they can do to the nation of Israel, especially to Jerusalem. They will be defeated at every turn. For some reason, God has his hand upon these peeps. And, and, and it doesn't matter what they throw at them. Israel the Jewish people will stand in the end and they will be God's people. And it just kind of, even as I'm sharing that, reminds me of the church, man. That, that Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So it doesn't matter what people do or say against the church or to the church. Gates of hell cannot even prevail against us. So we stand. Um, Zechariah chapter 5, let's read the first four verses. And then a little later we'll, we'll read the rest of it. But it says, then I turned and raised my eyes and saw, the, saw there the flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 30 cub 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, 
This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out a curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. It's interesting because this young prophet, Zechariah, has been here before. In that, he is, it, it seems as he's taking it all in. Because again, there's a lot that's going on on that night. Perhaps looking down in contemplation or, or, or surveying or reviewing what he has just witnessed. And maybe even writing it down. Again, with so much that's going on, it seems that for a time he looks down or he takes his eyes off of whatever's going on. And, and it says that in the first verse, then he turned and raised his eyes. And, and that's about the, the, the third time that we've seen him do that. In chapter 1, he did that. In chapter 2, he did that as well. That, that again, something is, he's looking somewhere else, contemplating, whatever the case may be. And we will see him do that again in the next chapter in the final uh, final uh, vision. And I really don't think that he is being distracted. I mean, he's been, he's been going, going, going. He took that nap last week that we looked at, and I don't think that he's being distracted with other things so much. He is just, he is very much engaged with everything that is going on around him. And it could just be that, that, that it's, that, 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 as simple as that, these visions that are coming at him, they're just coming from different directions. And so it could be that he's facing this way, and all of a sudden something pops up on this side, and he, and he lifts up his eyes to look over there. So, so it could be that everything's just coming from different directions. But as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, no, there has to be some time of, of contemplation of what he has seen. There's so much that he's seen that he, he has to, at one point, just kind of survey in his mind, um, kind of re re review what's been happening because there's so much. And, and if, in fact, he's writing stuff down that he would, would have to look down or whatever the case is, but, but I, I, I think about this because I, I'm, I'm not trying to complicate what, what it says here because you might be going... He just turned around. He just raised his eyes. I'm not trying to complicate in any way or read into, uh, into more than, than what is really there. But if you've ever been involved in ministry, in any kind of ministry, that it's sometimes a fast-paced kind of ministry or, or, or whatever the case is, whenever you're involved where, you're, you, where the Lord is kind of just showing you things and, and things are on, uh, on the move, that there, there can be distractions from all over the place that try to distract you and take your eyes off of what is really going on. And, and distractions, oftentimes, they come from different directions. 
And, and we do need time if we are serving in any capacity, whether it's in church or outside of church or however it is. But, but I, I, I was finding this as, as my head because I'm constantly thinking. I'm always thinking two months ahead of what's going on in church and what's happening. But at the same time, I have to think about this study, that study. I, th I think about all these things. And so there's, there's all kinds of stuff that is going on. And we need time for contemplation. We need time to survey. We need time to review the things that are necessary in our lives so that we can keep our head in the game, if you will. You know, just kind of keep focus. But the distractions that can come from all different directions. And so we, we have to take our time, but at the same time be aware. And so I don't know what's going on in this guy's head or what's happening, but it just seemed like all of a sudden there was another thing that caught his eye or caught his attention, and he, and he lifts up his eyes, and he saw a flying scroll. Huh. The angel asked him, and he said to me, what, what do you see? And I answered, a flying scroll. Now, a scroll is a roll. A book, it's a writing. And it's interesting because in those days, they didn't flip pages like we do. They, they had something that they rolled out, and it was probably a stick that, that, that just rolled out whatever, you know, this long piece of, of whatever material they were using, whether it was a papyrus or leather or parchment. And, and it wasn't abnormal for some of these scrolls, especially if they, were, if they were religious documents type stuff, that they would be good and hunking like this, you know? But, but that you would roll it out, and it wasn't abnormal that they would be 10, 20, 30 feet long. And can you imagine if we were doing scrolls today, <laughs> and I'm telling you, uh, unroll your scroll to about 7 feet, <laughs> and I'm going to be reading right around there, you know? But, but these scrolls, they rolled out, and, and, and if you've ever seen like old scrolls that are, that are placed in a museum or something, they're not short. You know, those would be smaller little scrolls that you just like, you know, but these are, are long, big ones. And it's interesting because the one that, 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 that he has seen here, <laughs> this one was flying. That was not normal, <laughs> that they would be flying, especially if they're, you know, a good size round. This was not, this was so out of the ordinary. But this particular scroll that he saw, it was about 30 feet long. But it was also about 15 feet wide, which is not normal whatsoever. Again, if they're like, you know, 12 inches or 18 inches, that, that okay, we could, we could deal with that. But the size that, that we're looking at here is a 15 by 30, which is about the middle of that second roll to that back wall. And this wide, we're, we're, it's about this big. So, so to me, I'm picturing a roll of carpet. <laughs> you know, maybe not that thick, but I'm looking at a roll of carpet, basically, that you have to kind of like, put, but this thing's flying, and, and, it's, and it's rolled out. Again, now, because I thought of carpet, I'm thinking of a magic carpet flying. You know, but, but again, I'm, I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to, to understand. It's like, what is this guy seeing 
that, that he knows what a scroll looks like, but this one's a big one, but it's already unfurled. It's already unrolled, but it's flying and it's up in the air. The large size is interesting because it could be coincidentally that big or intentionally that big because as I shared with you guys last week, the holy place was about those same measurements. It's about a 15 by 30 where, where again, I was, I was telling you that the holy place would be somewhere around here and then it was the holy of holies. So it's interesting because it's about the same size and perhaps it is suggesting that the judgment contained on the scroll would be in direct harmony with God's word and God's holy presence in the midst of Israel. This, this, this flying scroll, this, this thing that's in the suspended position that's hovering or, or flying over, however the case is, that's floating, could suggest that the, there's a, a, a rapid entrance um, that would come in for, for judgment into the house of thieves and the house of perjurers. And oftentimes when we're reading about visions, things can be exaggerated. They can be overstated. They can be inflated somewhat to make them even larger than life. And we'll see that a little bit even in the next vision as well. But they do that to get the point across. So again, he sees a scroll, but it's like, it's not like a scroll you've ever seen. <laughs> it's probably as long, but man, the width, unreal. But he's going to get his point across here. And he says in verse 3, this is, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of the scroll. And so Zechariah knew what it was. He had never probably seen one this big, but the angel lets him know what the context of the scroll is and what it meant. Now, I don't know if it was normal for scrolls to have writing on both sides. Maybe it is normal, but I didn't, I, I just didn't learn that. <laughs> but this one does. This one has writing on both sides of it. The, the, the part that you roll out this way, but the underneath had it. So as it's suspended, somehow he can tell that the wording is underneath, but there's also wording on the and some suggest that, that it is reminiscent of language that is described in the two tablets of the law, according to, to Exodus 32.15, where it says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the tablets of the testimony were in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides on one side and on the other side they were written and so now as he's 
as this whole vision is coming together, the size of it kind of correlating with maybe the, the holy place and with the writing that is on it, it's symbolic or, or, or it's reminiscent of the law according to God. In, in, in fact, the curse of the scroll is, is directed towards any violator or any, yeah, the, the, how they violate the, the, the middle two commandments of, of, of the Ten Commandments. In other words, on one side, when he's talking about the thief, he is talking about, or, or those who steal, he's talking about the Eighth Commandment, thou shall not steal. In, in Exodus 20, 15, and the Third Commandment, which would be on the other tablet, against swearing falsely or misusing the name of God in, in Exodus 20, verse 7. And so this scroll is representing the law of God that brings a curse to those who disobey it. And that includes even us today. Because the law is still telling us what we should and should not do, but it cannot bring us life, it always brings basically a curse to say, you can't do this. And so because even in, in, in Galatians, it tells us that the law could only take us so much or so far, it was a tutor, and then after that, Jesus would have to take over and bring grace because the law just showed us that we were sinners. Because nobody can fully obey the laws of God. And, and, and for that matter, the law has never been given to save people. But it reve reveals that people need to be saved. Because if it weren't for the law, we would not know that we sin, as Paul says in Romans. It was because of that that I have the knowledge of sin. So, so why exactly did the Lord select these two commandments to be put on this flying scroll these two commandments that forbid stealing and swearing falsely. The, these were sins especially maybe prevalent among the Jewish remnant at the time. That they were, that they were stealing and not telling the truth as well. It may be that many of the Jewish people who had come back from Babylon brought some of their, their bad habits with them. Again, we're going to see that, that Babylon is, is kind of associated with this whole thing. And, and, the, and Babylon is always a picture of the world and how they had been raised in the world for quite a, a time. And now they're coming over here and God's going to settle some issues. And so is it possible that these people had not been faithful in giving to the Lord, in robbing him of his tithes and offerings. That, and, and maybe perhaps that's why the temple was in ruin for so long. And maybe lying about it at the same time. And perhaps even in their business dealings, because a lot of these guys had become business owners and they had that time that, that they learned instead of being of the land, they were more merchants and, and, and they were cheating one another. If you remember when, when the prophet Haggai rebuked them for putting their own interests in front of the Lord's work in Haggai, or Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. 
And, and, and it's interesting because a century later, when Malachi is written, he will talk about how they were robbing God. And, and, and these two sins that, that are mentioned here about th- being thieves and, and, and perjurers, again, these, these were, were things that, that the, the people would, would be doing, and it was a grievous sin in, in the eyes of the Lord. But I think that there might be another reason that, that the third commandment is the central commandment of this first of the first tablet of the law and the eighth is also a central commandment to the second tablet of the law because both of these commandments represent the whole law. Again, James tells us that, that, that if you keep the whole law and yet you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. And, and both of these you know, using the Lord's name in vain or misusing it and, and, and being a thief would, would just kind of break that whole law. It's, it's almost like if you had a chain and you were trusting in this chain, how many links would have to break before this chain, you know, before it drops you? Just one. And so, again, if they break one, they've broken them all, and it says that these thieves and these perjurers would be expelled. And the word expelled means cut off. And it is unclear if it means to be killed or just banished. But either way, he is talking about judgment that is coming. And so God announced that the, that the scroll of his law would visit individual uh, homes of the land and judge those who were deliberately disobeying God's word. And so he tells us here at the end of verse 4 or in the middle of verse 4, it says, And the house of the one who swears falsely. He, oh, right above that. He shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely. And it shall remain in the midst of the house and consume it with timber and stone. And so God is saying, I will expel, I will banish and or even get rid of, kill, those who are breaking my laws. And it's interesting because he is now coming against his own people. If they are sinning, if they are disobeying, God will deal with the disobedience. And so he announced that this would not only come to them as a nation, but to individual homes. And he will judge those who deliberately break the law. And so this this flying scroll, this curse would be like a thief or, or a plague that would just kind of swoop in unannounced and come and bring destruction to the people. And some suggest that the, the severity and the totality of the judgment is a fulfillment that will occur later on in the millennium. Because only then will some will this, this divine judgment on sin come in so quickly and so rapidly and so swiftly and take care of all the sin. Again, we can't get away from the fact that he was dealing with the people and the nation in that day as well. And so again, many of these visions that we've looked at, they have a, a They are fulfilled right there and then or in that time frame, but they will also be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom because Zechariah.
seems to be able to do that several times to where he shares about what's happening now, but it's also going to be happening later. And so the remnant, these people, they would be familiar with all the blessings and all the cursings according to Moses. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursings. And they would also be be, uh, familiar with these blessings and cursings according to Joshua as well. When they came into the, the promised land, they all sat down and he went through all the blessings and all the cursings that they would be to all the other nations. And they all promised at that time with Joshua, we will obey what you tell us to do. Hundreds of years later, when Zechariah is writing this, things haven't changed. God, God still wants obedience from his people. God still will judge the nation, his own nation, <clears throat> when they return to their sin. He will call them out and he will deal with disobedience. That's who God is. And he hasn't changed back then when he promised it in Exodus and in Joshua and, and, and here in, in Zechariah. And he hasn't changed today. He still wants obedience in our lives. And he will deal with our disobedience. And, and with the people here, again, if they weren't going to, to change, th- uh, that, that, that he would deal with, with, with the sin to the very core to, to where he destroys whatever is around it. And he will get down to the timber and he will get down to the stone. He will get down to the nitty gritty, if you will. He's not going to, to let it just slide if there is no change here. And so, again, he's telling them, this is what this flying scroll was all about. I will come in and I will deal swiftly with the sin that they have brought back. So verse 5 to the end of the chapter says, Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift, uh, or lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. He said to he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When, they, when it is ready, the basket will be set on its base. So now the, the, this angel, this angel that's been ministering to Zechariah and interpreting a lot of what has been going on and he, he, he directs his attention to another object that it seems that it is flying or coming in also, however it's coming in, 
but it's coming in from wherever it goes forth, it says, so it seems like it's flying. But this time, it's not a scroll, it's a basket. And this basket is, is considered to be a measuring basket. It is also known as or called an ephah. And it's a large barrel or basket that was used for common households for grain. So it, w it would be anywhere from, from, from 5 gallons to 10 gallons and maybe a little bigger. So you can picture, you know, something about this big that they, people would take care of and pick up their grain and, and haul it in or, or just keep on filling the basket. But it was, it was meant to measure what they had. And so, again, the capacity of this is not huge, it's not large, 5 gallons, 10 gallons. But it's interesting because there's something inside of that. And, and, and so, since it's too small a container to enclose a woman, once again, we have to go back to what these visions sometimes do. They exaggerate the item to fit the narrative. So, so again, we can see that, that, again, it's been embellished somewhat to where it's a bigger basket to where a lady can fit inside of it. Now, it's interesting because when you go to the New Testament, there was a large basket that was used one time for Paul. So they did make baskets big enough for a man, but I don't think he got all the way in there. He probably just kind of held on with his head sticking out. But, but this one's a bigger basket. And again, it doesn't tell us exactly how big it is, but this woman is able to be in there. And so, again, it enlarges, this, this vision enlarges um, the, 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 the story kind of, uh, just like the scroll was. And then it says something interesting in verse 6 where it says, this is the resemblance throughout the earth. Kind of a little interesting, and I'll share it with you in different translations, but the word resemblance is the word appearance, meaning outward appearance. So this is the outward appearance throughout all the earth, their outward appearance. And it's interesting, as I was looking it up in the Hebrew dictionary, this word resemblance or appearance also carries the word iniquity with it. So so he's talking about that, that, that this whole appearance has, this resemblance, this appearance has has some iniquity associated with it, some sin. And so in the New Living Translation, that last portion says, and he replied, it is a basket of measuring for measuring grain, and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. The NIV puts it like this. It is a measuring basket. basket. It is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. And the Amplified says this is the symbol of the sinners mentioned above and is resemblance and it is and the resemblance of the iniquity throughout the land. So every one of these uh, other translations and commentaries speak of that, that what he is talking about this basket, that the outside of it resembles the nation of Israel and the sin that they had been caught up in. And so when you start looking at this, you're going, okay, so there's a disc that goes over its mouth that covers it. And so 
the, if the basket resembles the iniquity of the sin of the people, then, then the woman that's inside the basket, is it the people in their sin? Is, is, is it saying you, this basket resembles sin and you're, you are in sin? And so the angel is indicating that this basket represents the iniquity of the people throughout the land. And so many of the remnant that had come back, they brought back with them their customs. They brought back with them a lot of their sin. And it's interesting because, again, they were in the world for so long, and they're bringing part of the world inside where, again, they should have left it at the door of the temple and got cleaned up, but they're still dealing with some of this sin, and God wasn't going to let it continue. And so God was going to deal with it, and he says in verse 8, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. The word wickedness is personified as a woman. Now, I'll probably get myself in trouble here because I've always said the men could be dense and idiots, but women are wicked. I've said that all my life. And now it's confirmed. <laughs> but the word wickedness is in the female only because in the Hebrew it is in the feminine. <laughs> and so, so this woman attempts to get out of the basket, but the lead cover is so heavy that it's able to keep her in. And some suggest that this lead cover that covered it was probably about a talent of lead, which would weigh about 75 pounds to 100 pounds that would keep the woman down inside the basket and not let her come out. And so with the measuring basket and the weight of the lead, it seems that the Lord is in total control of this because he's measured it all out. He, he understands just how much sin there was, and he knows how to put weight or pressure to keep it from spreading in the midst of where he's brought them to. And so he, he says that, that this basket resembles the sin of these people, and if these people that are in sin, he, he kind of covers it, and he's going to deal with it. Because he's not going to let it prevail in his house or in Jerusalem. And so it says in verse 9, it says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind of the wings, in their wings, for they had wings like the wind, like the wi <laughs> too many wings and winds, um, wings of a stork and they lifted the basket between heaven and earth. So the prophet now sees these two women, not ordinary women. Again, some people are going, okay, so are these angels, which is kind of interesting because most of the time angels are represented or, or personified on in the male aspect. So perhaps these guys... <laughs> I can go on and on. But perhaps these guys, they just have that feminine look. I don't know. But, but he says they, they look, they're women. 
and these, they have wings, and they're coming, and it's like they're gliding in, and it's the wind that's holding them up, and they come, and they, they, they are able to pick up the basket. However much the woman weighed, again, if it's a 20, 30, 40, 50 pound <coughs> gallon basket with the weight that's in it and then another 75 to 100 pounds that is on it, they are able to lift that up and they, 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 they are taking it somewhere. Now, in order to understand some of this vision, we need to ask ourselves or we need to ask the question, why did the, the Jews or what did the Jews bring from Babylon when they returned from captivity? Because it probably was not idolatry, but it could be in a sense. Some suggest that they should have learned their lessons being in an idolatrous place, but honestly, not, they don't always learn their lessons. But many suggest that this is commercialism. Partly because they were living in the world. Again, the Jews, when they left the land, they were people of the land. But when they went into these, the city, they became people that, that were successful merchants. And so they dealt a lot with commerce. And so it's interesting because Babylon is always associated with commercialism. Babylon is associated with merchants. And so if they were there for a long time and they integrated themselves into their culture, that perhaps they brought some of this back and they were not being fair to God's people and they were sinning because they basically brought some of their, their bad habits. Not that commercialism was wrong, but the way they were using it was not good and God was going to deal with it. And it's interesting because a lot of these symbolisms that we see here, we see also in the book of Revelation. When it's talking about Babylon and it's talking about the commercialism and, 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 and the enmity that they are uh, against God. And so here they're bringing it to Jerusalem and God is going to deal with it to where, again, he brings his word. He shows his word and says, all you who are stealing and all you who are swearing falsely, I will deal with you. And, and, and my word will deal with you to the very core. And then he says, here's a basket that resembles who you are and all the sin that you have that you're in. And I will plug you up and I will take you away. And it's interesting because these two ladies, they show up and they grab this basket. And it says that they, they, they are starting to take it. And he says, where are they taking it? Where, where, where are they, they, they sending it to? And the angel says, to build a house for the land, for it is the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar would be Babylon. And so, in essence, he's getting rid of those people or that sin that, that would permeate his people and take it out of the way. And so, it's quite possible that in the literal sense that some of the people that were there at the time, God was going to take out. Because he wanted to do a work in Jerusalem. And he couldn't continue to do a work if these people would, would continue to steal and to, and to uh, perjure um, God or, or speak evil against God. So he was going to take him out of the way. And it's interesting because, again, they're taking this and taking it over to Babylon. And it says that they were going to set her up or set this basket up in its base. 
that they were going to get this house ready. And again, if it's commercialism, you know what comes with commercialism is money and, and profit and just wickedness. And me and Pastor Daniel were talking about the heart of man today. That, that a lot of people, when they get into politics and stuff, they want to do it for the right reasons. But pretty soon, man, the heart of man and the money and the, the, the evilness, the wickedness that comes with that. You know, because we were reading about what, you know, what, what's being accused about the, the presidents down in Mexico that they were being bought off by the cartel. And it's like, again, when somebody's offering you $100 million, it's like, ah, no, I don't think I can. It's like, you know, it's like get away with it, I'll do it. You know, that, that's the mindset. And so again, this wickedness, this sin that, that could have permeated even more in Jerusalem, God was going to take out of Jerusalem and, and, and again, protect his people. And so there was judgment that would be coming upon the children of Israel if they didn't change. And so he shows them this vision that I'm sure he, was, he would be sharing with them soon about the scroll, about the, 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 uh, the basket, and that God would cleanse his people. And he would take them away. And again, it's interesting because a century later, a hundred years later, when Malachi is being written, again, he's dealing with some of the same things. And I just find that fascinating that, that again, as, as Christians... We battle the world all the time, and it's always trying to infiltrate our own lives. And there's nothing wrong with going and working, but when that becomes your focus, when that starts robbing you or taking you away that you end up robbing God because of, of not doing what you're supposed to do, then again, God deals with those kinds of things. He will come in swiftly oftentimes and just kind of pull the rug from under you to, to help you understand or to see or to look up and go, okay, I get it. You know, but, but he, he measures it all out. He is in total control of all of this. Again, when he's dealing with the nation of Israel and we see their history, we as Christians ought to learn from the history of the Jews. It is all written for us as an example that we would learn because, again, in the New Testament, he tells us in Corinthians that all this was written for our example so that we could not make the same mistakes as they do. And so, again, when, when the world is coming in into our lives, into our, not, not only our lives, but into the church, that so we need to be careful that we don't allow those things from the outside to permeate what is on the inside. And that's what God is dealing in these two uh, visions with the nation of Israel that he will come in and swiftly take care of it. He will come in and pluck it out and take it to where it belongs, back in the world. And so Babylon, again, they would set up this base and, and again, whether it was one of their gods that, that would provide for them or whatever, they were going to worship. And basically what they were going to worship is commercialism. They were going to worship money. They were going to worship all these things. And so it's interesting because, again, when you go back to the two commandments that, that, that he kind of gave of, of stealing and of swearing falsely, that, again, it, it, it almost just breaking those two kind of destroy the rest of them as well. I know one of the, the, the major um, or one of the things that we often look at is the last commandment 
where it, it says you, you shall not covet. And man, when we get caught up in covetousness, it just destroys all of them altogether. And so when we're willing to, dis, to, to break one, we're, we're breaking all of them. And so again, the Bible tells us that we are to be uh, content where we're at, you know, uh, with, with, with godliness, and, you know, that there should be contentment and that when we pursue those kinds of things, again, we have an example that God will deal. He will pull the rug from under us if, if that's what he has to do. And that's what he is showing the, the, the people of Israel. And this young prophet, again, he's on the scene. He's aware of what's going on. He's, he's either taking notes, but he's writing it down and, and understanding exactly what's going on so that what the people would be warned. Because what I love about this whole thing is that God warns his people always. And he always does that with us as well. He's given us his word that we may follow in it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, oh God. Lord, with so much, Lord God, that, that you show us in your word, the warnings, Lord, that, that you give us. I thank you for young prophets like Zacharias so long ago who were willing, Lord God, to, to put themselves out there. Lord, even as I'm sure he was, he was just in awe of what was going on around him, Lord, he was able to be engaged to where we have the word of God today. I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that, God, we would be careful, that we would be obedient to who you are and what you've called us to, that we would never, Lord God, desire to be disobedient. And, Lord, when, when and if we are disobedient, that we would turn to you quickly. That, Lord, we would desire that, that, that sweet place of being in your presence. And even as we sang earlier, Lord God, that there would be no better place than being right with you, Lord God, where we need to be. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would uh, encourage us and help us as we grow in you, as we continue to look forward to what you have for us, Lord. We're excited, Lord, to see what you're doing, and we bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we